welcome to episode 28 and a half of the American Tributaries podcast, where to break out of the bubbles we've all been living in these last few years, we are using modern technology to explore the various currents of people in our great country, kind of like uh, 21st century Lewis and Clark journey. I'm your host, Erin Lovett, and thank you for joining me on this exploration of America. Today, we are doing something a little bit different, so don't get too confused or thrown off. Michael Whitten is usually the host. I know you've grown accustomed to his voice, but we've decided to turn the tables to talk about a project he's been working on. I've been friends with Michael and his family since we were neighbors and recently joined his company, American Tributaries Travel, to be on his board, and I'm really honored to do so. How are you, Michael? I'm doing great. It's very weird to be on the other side of the microphone, so to speak. (laughs) Well, you make you feel really uncomfortable, so get ready. (laughs) Um, When I was preparing for this, I was thinking back to when we first started having conversations like this, which was, in my mind, I know that you've been thinking about this, you know, your kind of whole adult career, but in my mind, it really started on November 8th, 2016, when we were both in line at PS29 waiting to vote. And of course, as everyone who's listening knows, Trump was running on the Republican ticket, Hillary was running on the Democratic ticket, and everybody in line across the country was sure that who they were voting for was going to win. And I had no idea because I was living in my bubble. I was sure that I was right, that my side was going to win. And I think that the next day when the results came in, it suddenly became clear to me that this country is very divided. Um, And I was fearful of that because I didn't think that there was a way to bridge those divides because they seemed so extreme and there didn't seem to be any way to meet in the middle. And I remember having conversations with you and we would talk over, you know, dinners and I then left the dinner table and kind of forgot about it. And you did something about it. You started... (laughs) the podcast, you started American Tributaries Travel. Um, did it did it coincide with that moment of the election or did it coincide with the moment where your kids are starting to get more educated, more adult, Miranda's going into high school? What was really like the trigger for you when you decided to start this? I think the, I think the election of 2016 was, I think, the bubble first being pricked. I think that was like the first kind of like, you're like, wait a second, what's going on here? And I think there was, um, I mean, it's been a bit of a journey, I'd say, over the last four years. I mean, from 2016 to like 2020, um, in terms of just kind of thinking like, what, like, what, what am I missing? What have I been missing? And, you know, I, I think that I've kind of turned a corner in my outlook of things, but I think, you know, in the Brooklyn, bubble and and here it's like you know 77 percent i think of people voted for like biden in you know 20 in 2020 i mean it's a very very blue area um there was a i think i was you know as probably as or upset anxious angry whatever you want to say as a lot of other people but i just i felt like i just couldn't live like that and i think even like with 2020 um there was a lot going on like we were all feeling and i started writing to try to make sense of what i was seeing what i was feeling what i was thinking and i think it was that kind of like writing journey that started to i mean for lack of a better word kind of like rewired my brain a bit and re i think focused what the way i was seeing things to start like realizing that you know i have to stop looking at 
the, I don't know, the big voices or the the big media channels that are out there telling us what to think and to actually think about what, what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling. And what I realized was I don't like how I'm feeling. I want to change that. I have to stop mm-hmm. listening to people that are telling me to be angry. And I have to actually think about what I'm actually seeing on the ground, which is most people just kind of like, you know, struggling to get by day to day. And I mean, there are differences and there there are vast differences. But, you know, maybe from the point of view of New York, looking at somebody who lives in vastly different parts of the country, they're going to have vastly different points of view. And not to say that there aren't discussions that can be had and there aren't universal principles. But before we kind of go to the most contentious topics that, you know, anybody could have a discussion about, we should just first get to know each other better. And I think that's what kind of sparked what I wanted to do with the podcast and the travel company. Yeah. And um it just occurs to me that there must have been a leap for you because writing is very solitary. You know, you're you're writing, you're in your head, you're putting it down on paper, but you don't know who's going to read it, how they're going to respond to it. So with those early writings, did you start to interact with people who read what you were writing or were th- was there was there one step between writing and tr- and turning this into a podcast and a travel um, experience where you started to really engage with other people? Was there that kind of experience that made you think, oh, wait, this is really about connections? I think the writing was what prepared me to do the outreach. So, I mean, like, really, I mean, what had happened, and I'd say there's a couple of different, like, catalysts for this. I think, you know, we've already identified two, the 2016 election, and then starting to write during the pandemic. And then the third was, I guess, being down in South Carolina one time uh, on vacation with my family. And, and it was this actually the only place I think we've ever actually returned to vacation. We were just in Hilton Head. And I remember kind of like, you know, bracing myself one, because I'm thinking like, we're going to go down to South Carolina. And like, I expect like, you know, lawlessness. And if we want to wear a mask, it's going to be like so contentious. And, and it and it wasn't at all. So it was already like, kind of like once you went, got out of the bubble again, especially the pandemic bubble, it was like, wait, what I've been told for the last eight months about the craziness and whatever, that's not there. So it's already like, all right, another data point that's saying I need to think on my own. But um, while we were there, we met some gentleman and his wife and we were having small talk and like he, um, we asked like, you know, as, as any couples would. And he asked me like, you know, he asked, we asked him where he was from and he was from Oklahoma. He asked where we are from and we said we're from New York. And then he kind of said, like, must be nice to get away from those crazy Democrats. And like when I heard that, I first was like, well, he's kind of making a couple of assumptions there, which was like kind of made me bristle a little bit. But then I was like, but you know what? I don't know anything about Oklahoma at all. Yeah. So. I can't even have this discussion because I know nothing about Oklahoma and I haven't tried to learn about Oklahoma. And to be really honest, I haven't tried to learn about a lot of this country. And I don't know that anybody really does. I think we've all lived in our bubbles. It's not just a New York City thing. But I was like, you know what? I can only control myself. I can't tell that guy to learn about New York City, but I can tell myself to learn about Oklahoma. So I started trying to read books about different states and then with that, I reached out to an organization I had been in called Braver Angels, which is founded in 2016 to build bridges across the political spectrum. And I said, hey, you know, I'd love to actually meet somebody from South Carolina. And they connected me with Eric Ireland, who was guest number one on this podcast. And he's a Republican from South Carolina. And we had, I mean, just such a, a satisfying, insightful, respectful conversation that he's somebody that I would 
just trust intuitively to for his viewpoint, even though I'm sure we disagree about things. I think we agree on the overarching concern of saying that this country needs to get to know each other. We all Americans need to get to know each other again, and we need to return to more civil dialogue. And to me, ultimately, I know that my travels overseas have always been very gratifying. Yeah. But I think that that travel has too often been overseas and not here. But I know that being physically yeah. present in a different location makes you understand it in a way that cannot be replicated by, you know, by Instagram, Facebook, TV, right? Oculus. You got to be their feet on the ground. And that's why I wanted to start doing the travel ultimately. You've talked about, though, I mean, you've been to 31 states. I don't know if that's changed in the last week or so, but <laughs> the last I heard was 31 <laughs> states. And that's a lot. I mean, that's more significant than I'm sure the majority of, of people out there. Are there are those 31 states um, curated, selective? Do they tend to not be in the South? Have you not been to a lot of Southern places? Um, I mean, I think we've gone up and down the seaboard. And I think like the number, I guess it sounds almost it's a, to me, the number, I guess, is less important than just kind of if I look at like my overall like track record in life. Yeah. Like I've, you know, been curious about other places and other countries. And I haven't looked inward to be curious. So like some of those trips might have been like vacations. But it's kind of like when you go on vacation to, you know, the Bahamas, right? You go to a resort. Did you actually learn anything about the Bahamas? No. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm just saying like to say that you went to a resort in the Bahamas is very different than saying that you actually got to know the Bahamas. So like I might have gone to Hilton Head, South Carolina, but I don't think by any means that means I actually knew South Carolina at all. And I think that's what I was trying to correct for is even though that number could be big or small, the quality of what of a lot of that travel was missing. And I think that's what I wanted to change, just not for myself, but think for the next generation of, you know, the future of America. Yeah. Um, so you've picked South Carolina as your first destination in February where you're going to go. Why South Carolina? I mean, obviously, it has a wonderful tradition of food. There's a lot of history there. Um, it's easy to get to by train. Are there other reasons? I think I think there was there were the commonalities, which is I think like for New Yorkers because that's you know where where we live. Um, New Yorkers like food and they like history and they like architecture, um, and I think those were all things that would be very alluring. <clears throat> I think that there's also the differences. It's just the weather is very different, um, the geography is different, the wildlife is different, and I mean the history is very is very different. Obviously, I mean going you know going back hundreds of years to maybe the last 50 years. But, you know, one of the things that I've found or I think I, what I, my observation on, I think, how people knee jerk um, perceive or think about things is we're kind of stuck in these kind of caricatures from like 50 years ago, which were probably a bit extreme also. So like when I think of how I used to think of South Carolina or the South in general, you would almost like think of just like, you know, black and white TV footage from the civil rights struggle. Yeah. And I think when people think about New York City, I think they're thinking of like footage from like the 1970s where like buildings are on fire and there's, you know, you know, abandoned cars every place. And, you know, to be, you know, truth be told, I know in both places there still are problems, but I think that we're kind of addressing each other, bracing ourselves to think the very worst of each other from 50 years ago. So it's like outdated and not applicable on multiple levels. Yeah, no, that's, that's really powerful. That's so true. Um, and it's interesting, the places that you've decided to go to in South Carolina, Charleston, which is iconic, but then Greenville and Columbia. Yeah. Columbia. I think, and, I mean, I'm sorry, go on. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, were those three, obviously they were intentional. How dramatic are they in terms of like the size difference? And are there any cultural differences between the three? They're all in South Carolina, but is there even like a difference within the state of people that you'll encounter? Well, I guess, I mean, I think Greenville as the end point was, was partly because my friend Eric was from there. And honestly, like when I heard about Greenville, like I was like, I didn't, you know, I don't know. I When I thought of South Carolina beyond Charleston, really even including Charleston, I just pictured like, I don't know, backwoods or something. I didn't realize that there was this actually like really um, rising like city that's been growing in the inland, the upland part of South Carolina. So um, that I thought would be kind of great to see because you can see like a city reinventing itself because Greenville had for the longest time been kind of like in the doldrums from like a textile industry that had like kind of long moved on from the city. So they've been able to reinvent themselves. It's been profiled in magazines and in a great book called Our Towns by uh, two Atlanta two authors for the Atlantic. Um, Columbia was seemed to be like a logical halfway point. Um, so I thought it would be good to go to the capital, which so as well. Um, and also like, and what I'm trying to do here is not just talk about building bridges between different states, but also just kind of broadening our awareness of different communities that are out there. And I think for like New York City, you know, one of the communities that you really don't ever encounter is the military. And I was, you know, was able and did the honor to serve in the Navy for four years after college. And I thought, you know, it would be great maybe if we could find a, a base somewhere in South Carolina, because there are a lot of military bases where the kids could see like what the military life is like, not for recruiting purposes by any means, but more just to be aware of, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people that participate in the military and the military is a very important part of, you know, the long-term health and survival of our country. So we need to take it upon ourselves to learn. And there's a, a major base outside of well, in Columbia called Fort Jackson, which is the the largest facility for the basic training. So I managed to connect with the like the public affairs officer there, and they were like very receptive and supportive of the idea of bringing in, like New York City area kids to the base to just see what the military life is like. Um, and you you went you did this trip in the summer with a, a small group of people just as a pilot program to see how it would work, what the flow would be, what the responses would be. Out of all the experiences that these kids did and saw and encountered, what do you think was the most memorable for them? I mean, probably every kid left with a different impression of what spoke to them, but was there one event that you feel like stood out from all the others? Um, I mean, I, I think the I think their experience that might probably must left the most powerful impression was um, it was a ceremony actually at Fort Jackson because when we were there, um, we were um, it was family day on the base, so that meant that all of the trainees who had been kind of like you know being pushed to their very limits and isolated from their family for twelve weeks, like incommunicado this was going to be the ceremony where they get reintroduced to their families and they, the army, you know, puts a lot of effort into this ceremony. So they have everybody singing the grandstands and then they um, have the, all the trainees hiding in this tree line across the, the parade ground. And then the parade ground gets filled with like grenade smoke. And then like you hear this music and then you see like the color guard and the American flag kind of like piercing the smoke. And then you see the soldiers slowly kind of march out and like my daughter Miranda said, it was the most beautiful thing she'd ever seen. Um, and I think to me, like, I was glad that it made an impression, but I also thought it was a great example for the kids just to understand how 
we all we all live in our bubbles and we all perceive things differently. And what I told them is like, this was a beautiful ceremony. We'd understand now that those for us, we see this and we can move on. But for these soldiers, that flag is really something that's supposed to motivate them to give up their lives. Yeah. And their families are seeing this ceremony and they're also accepting that risk that they're taking on, you know, whether it's like spouses or parents or children. So that flag is going to probably mean a lot more to them than it might be to like the average New Yorker who's just kind of rushing from home to the subway to the office. You see the flag, you probably don't because it's too high up to ever notice it. But yeah. for these soldiers, it's going to mean a lot. So you know, to take it back to like, you know, whatever kneeling controversies or flag controversies, I think we all kind of like revert to this is how I feel. This is the right way. And I think what I told them is just understand that there is another view of this thing. And in their context and their upbringing, a Colin Kaepernick taking a knee is going to be a lot more triggering than to people who've never been exposed to that kind of motivation to give up their life for their country. Yeah. So, um, and I think that what in the larger context, what, what American tributaries is about, it's about, you know, I guess reminding us that we're all connected like tributaries and rivers and stuff. But I think it's also about kind of, I guess, getting the American mind to move on to the 21st century. And I, it sounds really grand, but I think, you know, we, our minds are wired to deal with tribes of a hundred to 200 people, right? Yeah. Well, the internet is here to stay and that now connects us not to 100 or 200, but to 330 million other people. And we're being inundated with feelings and uh, opinions from various areas. And we, I think, to move on, need to be able to strive to better um, have, I guess, have almost think with two minds. Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald had a great quote that says, the mark of our first great mind is the ability to hold the like two different viewpoints in their mind at the same time and still be able to function. And I think that's, that's the challenge for us. And I think we can do it. And I can say like, I've been trying and I can't say I'm, you know, any, you know, I'm not, any, I don't believe in anything special and I can do that better than I ever could before. Once I started paying attention to it. Well, you are special, Michael. You're remarkable. <laughs> um, you really are. You're inspiring. And I just think what you're doing is, is so incredible. And, um, and I love that quote. I think that maybe, children and young adults can do that better than anyone, which I think is what's so brilliant about the demographic that you've chosen, you know, because once we get to be 30 or 40 or however old we all are, um, you just get so rooted and it's really hard to break out of, of um, you know, those, those ideas that we've just decided are right. And I think when you're 14, 15, 16, you're much more malleable. You're much more open in every sense. You know, you're figuring out who you are, you know, what, what you respond to in the world, how you want to identify. Um, and so it's just so important to keep encouraging these kids to be open-minded, to not make rash decisions based on what you've learn from your environment, you know, really kind of embrace it, become who you want to be as an individual. So I think it's, it's just such an exciting thing that you're, you're doing. Um, what's one last thing you want us to leave with in terms of the, the upcoming trip? What, what's one thing that you hope people will take away from and, and want to, want to get, get involved with? Well, I think, I mean, to me, there's lots of opportunities to travel overseas um, in the schools in general and for children. And 
I th- this I think this is more about taking some of that curiosity and redirecting it inward. That this does you know, Italy is still a wonderful place to go. France is still a wonderful place, lots to learn about and there's a lot to enjoy. But what I'd say is once you start directing that curious eye inward, you'll find the same you'll be I think you might even be marveling more at what's happening here once you realize that the caricatures that would have been uh, foisted upon us don't really apply and that it's just such a great country and like when you talk to people who actually travel around the country they'll say you know people are decent and good and i think you know the our shared tradition is something that is really motivating i think really a lot of people we focus on what's different what divides us and i think that what i've seen is I mean, what motivates what unites us is this i guess what i call like this kind of shared sense of like self-reliance and independence and like optimism which i mean could be delusional and i guess could be arrogant in some ways but when you think about our country everybody who's here has been forced to be more self-reliant than anybody else whether you're you're a european you know immigrant from like 100 years ago whether even if you were like if you were you know if your family was you know is descended from people who were enslaved like they were forced to come here and they had to be self-reliant they had to get by if you are native american you were uprooted from your lands but you had to force you were forced to try to survive to, to stay here and goes back to my ancestors who came here from England in the 1700s to like my wife's family who flew here in the 70s. You came here on your own. You left. You were either left voluntarily or forcibly. You had to get by on your own. And that is a that takes a a certain level of determination, of willfulness, of a bit of independence, self and selfishness and self-reliance that no place else has. And when you start thinking about how to look at Americans in the view of like what unites us, it really is empowering and inspiring to see people as kindred spirits and not just somebody who thinks differently than you about some polarizing topic that some politician said that you have to care about more than anything else. Yeah, no, I love the the quote that you have on your website by John Steinbeck from Travels with Charlie that was written in 1960. And he says, Americans are much more American than they are Northerners, Southerners, Westerners, or Easterners. And you're absolutely right. We're one tribe, we're one people. And invest here. I mean, it's great to go to Italy, <laughs> but yeah, sure. um, but if you're really thinking about investment and you know where you want to put money for the future, I think that what you're doing is is the best thing that you can do for the generation who's going to follow us. Yeah, and and I you know and it's a, it's 330 million people. It's a huge country. We're like the third third or fourth largest in size and in population. So of course it's confounding. Of course it's maddening. And there are serious problems. And I think we just need to get back to understanding the the, the fellowship we have with everybody else, so that we can kind of look at what we do have in common to, to tackle the real problems and the, the you know the injustice that's out there. And that that goes any number of different ways. And we just need to I think open our minds, open our ears, and open our eyes. Yes. On that note, Michael, thank you for talking to me and allowing to be a part of the project, the podcast, um, your life. I really am honored to be um, a small part of it. So thank you for everything you're doing. Well, Aaron, thank you for for I guess for the, having this conversation, and I think for you know for joining the the board. I think we're gonna we're gonna help uh, make a difference, a positive difference in our country, and and I that, I think our kids deserve that. Yes. All right. Thank you. Bye.